Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 26th episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Sooner the Better, an interview with ThinkLime founder and CEO, Randy Goodman. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Randy Goodman is a marketing executive and manager with over 20 years experience. In her career, she has been responsible for the negotiation, development, and growth of key programs with some of the country's largest corporations, including Dell, FedEx, Hertz, Boston Coach, Dow Jones, and Business Week. In 2018, after a personal battle with Lyme disease, she leveraged her marketing skill set to launch the platform ThinkLyme with the goal of advocating for the advancement of physician and patient awareness for early Lyme disease diagnosis. Randy Goodman, thank you for joining us on our podcast. Thank you both so much for having me. Truly honored to be here. And I um, really wanted to thank you both for all the work that you're doing on behalf of the Lyme community. So Randy, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background before you began to show symptoms of a tick disease? Yeah, I'm um, a married mother of twins. I lead a full, busy, active, and successful life. Um, I have my own marketing consulting firm, um, Randy Goodman Consulting. For the past four years, I've been contracted for a digital marketing agency, W Promote, out in uh, California. Um, I graduated from the University of Michigan, um, and I just lead a very full, busy life. So, Randy, before you began to show the symptoms of a tick disease, what were your desires? You know, being a mother um, is my, you know, priority and wife. Um, having, you know, a successful career, um, just balancing it all. Um, you know, somehow, I, I don't know how I balance it all, but, you know, somehow I just keep all the balls in the air um, and keep on going. So how did the symptomology of your tick disease interfere with your desire to be the mother, the wife, and the professional that you had sought to be? Yeah, really um, took me by surprise. I mean, nothing has really physically brought me down. Um, I'm someone who doesn't get sick. Um, I'm someone who, you know, has full energy um, at all times. Um, so to be physically impaired, I think was what really struck me. Um, part of me didn't acknowledge it. I mean, there was a point where I couldn't walk. I was, it was like a dead weight under my feet and I was dragging my feet but I would, I would ignore it. I would keep on going. I just, I almost like couldn't believe that this was happening to me. And I, I didn't want to acknowledge it, to be honest. Randy, can you describe and walk us through your symptoms when you started getting sick? Yeah, at the time it was um, May, 2016. Um, I was under a great deal of stress. Um, it was like the perfect storm was brewing. Um, I remember one day at work, um, I just felt feverish, almost like flu-like symptoms. And normally I can power through any cold, any sickness. Um, I couldn't. I remember I drove home from work and I just got right into bed. My daughter made me dinner and that was it for the night. I was out for the count, um, which would never happen. And then the next morning I was miraculously fine. It was fine. It was like nothing happened. And I was like, cool, I'm good. Um, back to normal life. Then I would say a month later um, in June, I was, I played tennis competitively. Um, my best friend is my doubles partner. Um, so it was like the third set of a tennis match and we were about to win the game and win the set. And it was 90 degrees heat. And I just remember all of a sudden there were cramps in my toes and they climbed and they got so severe. It was attacking my calves, excruciating pain, debilitating. And I collapsed right then on the court. We forfeited, couldn't play, and my partner, she just looked in amazement. I mean, if she didn't see it for her own eyes to this day, she says she wouldn't have believed it. 
and I was in such pain. It took like an hour for the cramping to subside and I dismissed it and I was fine, you know, just sore the next couple of days and went on with my life. And then a month later, the same episode happened, 90 degree heat, tennis match, not as severe as the first, but it did attack me. I was out for the count, except it, the symptoms didn't go away. They started to mysteriously change and evolve. Um, then I got numbness and tingling in all of my extremities. Um, then my back went out. Um, I've never had back pain. My back totally went out. I couldn't move. I went to a physiatrist. I got MRIs. I got EEGs. Um, such pain. Um, one day, I remember going to the emergency room straight from work. My whole family met me there. Um, they did a battery of tests. Everything was normal. Um, it was just bizarre. Um, then the numbness tingling turned into paralysis. I couldn't move my legs. It was like, again, a dead weight. I just, I remember like limping, but I just kept on going. It was like, I just kept on going. Nothing was wrong with me, right? Every doctor dismissed me. I was a perfect specimen of health. Um, and so I was like, all right, I don't know. My body's just got to heal. Maybe it was just under trauma from those cramping events. So I just kept on going and going, but then it was like mind racing started and paranoia and brain fog. Um, I couldn't like, I cognitively, I couldn't operate at the same capacity. I remember like I would stare in front of my computer. I couldn't get as much done. Um, and my sister-in-law recommended that, you know, I, I go see someone for this. And someone gave me the name um, for this doctor out in Manhasset, Dr. Jeremy Coplin, um, who's a psychiatrist. And I went in to get Lexapro. Um, I said, I've never been on antidepressants in my life, but I'm going to give it a try. I can't feel this way anymore. And I went in for a Lexapro prescription and I came out with a Lyme disease diagnosis. So you don't need Lexapro, you have Lyme. And Randy, prior to this, your primary care physician recommended you to a rheumatologist who mm -hmm. ran a, a battery of tests, including the ELISA Lyme test, correct? And that came back negative then? It came back negative. Um, my anatiter was, you know, slightly elevated. Um, outside of that, again, he dismissed me. Perfect specimen of health. He did, you know, he brought up Lyme, but it was negative. Um, I did ask to see, I knew enough to ask to see the Western blot. Um, which at the time I can't believe. Um, and I remember seeing band 23. And Randy, that's not uncommon because we know the, the Lyme testing, the ELISA testing is very, very inaccurate. Correct. Now I know that if you have one band, that is sufficient. So now fast forward, you're, you're going to your psychiatrist and right away you have Lyme disease, right? So what, how do you react? What are your feelings? Um... I mean, I knew in my heart I was not depressed. I knew in my heart that I didn't want to go on antidepressants. I knew that that was not right. I was, you know, really against it, but it was like I had no choice here. I couldn't live like this. So part of me was like relieved because I knew myself enough, you know, I knew that there was something else going on. I kept on saying it was like aliens invaded my body. This was not my body at all. I didn't recognize it. I did not recognize my body. Um, so part of me was almost like, I told you so, Randy, like I knew. Um, so when I got the diagnosis, it, it made sense. It all just made, it made sense. So Randy, when you finally got the tick disease diagnosis, did you begin to now recount the contact that you had with ticks during the course of your life? Yes. 
Um, so I did, I did have a known tick bite at age, um, nine. I remember, you know, I was sleeping and I felt the back of my head. Um, and my parents, you know, they called their friends over. I remember them getting it out of my head. Um, I remember feeling it, um, in my scalp. Um, so that was a known tick bite. Um, other than that incident, there was no other known bite. Um, when I, in May of 2016, though, when I was playing um, tennis, I remember the ball went over the fence, um, and I volunteered to get the ball, um, and it is a tick-infested area um, out on Long Island, and I did get the ball that day. I, thinking about it, I could have been rebid that very day. So, Remy, what did you know about ticks, and what precautions did you take to protect yourself from having contact with ticks? Um, I knew enough to check for them, be aware, but I didn't wear bug spray every single day. I didn't make my kids wear bug spray every day. Um, I didn't do daily tick checks. I knew of them. I just, you know, I think people think like it's just not going to happen to you. How many doctors did you see, Randy, before you got your Lyme diagnosis? Uh, it was close to a dozen and two emergency room visits. Were you misdiagnosed with anything else before? Nothing. Perfect specimen of health. I mean, my health was always great. So, Randy, it sounds like your tick disease developed very quickly. It went from a tick bite to neurological line very, very quickly. Do you have any thoughts on why that happened? Um, again, I think it was the perfect storm. I think, you know, the point of my life, I was weakened. Um, I was under a great deal of stress, handling a lot on my plate. Um, I think it was just a matter of time um, that something brought me down. Um, I think, you know, perhaps these microbes lived dormant in my system harmoniously for years. Um, and, I, you know, there wasn't the opportunity um, for them to show their face. Um, I think this was, you know, again, the perfect storm. So now that you're, you're get, you got your Lyme diagnosis and you're working with your psychiatrist to treat the Lyme, what was your treatment protocol moving forward? Um, he started me immediately on minocycline, um, very slowly. Um, started, you know, two or three days and I herxed, you know, pretty quickly. Um, we slowly increased it, you know, to every day and then did twice a day. Um, you know, I was weeks, he said I was weeks away from a wheelchair. Like he just couldn't believe that I came in at that time um, and got diagnosed and that he caught it. And, you know, a month later, I, he introduced um, rifampin um, based upon my symptoms, um, Bartonella, um, he believes I had as well as Lyme. Um, I think it, the rifampin, you know, I reacted very strongly to, it, you know, definitely was a tough medication to take. Um, the herxing was extreme. There were times I was like, I don't think I'm going to get through this. Somehow I did. Somehow I went to work every day. Somehow nothing slipped. I, I, I still don't understand how I did it. But I think it was the rifampin that really turned the corner um, for me. Um, after a few months, I remember like the light went on. I was like, I feel normal again. It, it was it was amazing. Randy, can you describe for our listeners what herxing is and what those symptoms were for you? Yeah, herxing is basically the die-off of spirochetes. Um, so as the bacteria are being killed off, um, it's almost like your symptoms are exacerbated. Um, so you feel them more intensely than ever. So it's, you know, a really bad flare-up. Um, you have to manage it. You know, I would scale back. There were times it was, you know, so bad, um, heart palpitations, and I couldn't breathe properly. Um, 
tightness in my chest. Um, and he would, you know, scale back the medication appropriately. And I would have to manage my symptoms. I would have to, you know, take Epsom salt baths. Um, you know, you have to detoxify as you're herxing. Um, so I would take Epsom salt baths. I would dry brush every single day. Um, all of this helps to remove um, the dead spirochetes that are dying off in your body as a result of treatment. Can you explain to our listeners or for our listeners what dry brushing is? It's literally like a dry brush. Um, you know, people use it to exfoliate. Um, and it's just bristles, natural fiber bristles. And you just go, you just brush it on your skin every single day. Take the brush um, and it detoxifies all the impurities out of your skin. Everybody should be using a dry brush every single day. It's just a basic self-care principle. And then the magnesium and the Epsom salt helps to also detoxify and draw the impurities out of your system. Randy, after you started the antibiotics and, and were herxing really bad, when did you start to feel better? Um, I would say probably three months. Did you stop the antibiotics at that point? No, I continued for probably nine months straight. Um, and then I felt strong enough, healthy enough. I just made the decision to go off the antibiotics. Um, I wish I kept a low level um, amount in my system um, because I did you know, regress slightly after that. I would feel symptoms again. So the thought was you were feeling almost 100% better, you wanted mm -hmm. to stop the antibiotics, and then you realized that you started to feel sick again and, and wished you really didn't go off them so quickly, correct? Correct. Randy, why did you stop I the antibiotics? You know, I just wanted to feel normal. It was like, this is such a nightmare. It was like, the literally, you feel like, the only way to describe it is you feel like you're in the twilight zone. Um, I'm a happy, go-lucky person, full of life. I want to live, right? Like, I don't, taking supplements, watching my diet, that was, that was never something I did, ever. Um, I just wanted to go back to normalcy. I just wanted to forget all of this. Um, I realize now, you know, this is something that you have to manage for the rest of your life, um, keeping your immune system up. Um, Self-care is a new principle I've adopted. I need to get better at it, but um, definitely, you know, have made strides. I do things differently now. Um, I look at the world differently. I look at day-to-day. -day. I, I just, yeah, everything's different now. Now, at this point, you start to feel sick again. You stop the antibiotics. What did you do next? Then I would like go on for two weeks, which I know now is, you know, not, is not the right thing for your body. Um, and then I just made the decision I'm going to get tested properly. I never got tested properly with Igenix and Galaxy because my symptoms came on so quickly and suddenly. Um, and I made the decision that, you know, I was going to a Lyme literate doctor in Manhattan and to do this right. Um, so right now I'm under her care. And Randy, I'd like to take a step back because you actually saw the psychiatrist on Long Island, New York, who first diagnosed you. And, you know, Rich and I know that we've been at a couple of conferences recently where they've said there are no Lyme litter doctors here on Long Island, but it seems that that's not correct. Can, can you mention who your doctor was so people here that are listening from Long Island are aware of this doctor? It's uh, Dr. Jeremy Coplin out in Manhasset. Um, he is a gift. Um, probably only two doctors I ever encountered in my life quite like this. Um, just his approach is completely different. Um, listens, um, studies you. Um, it's almost like his intuition combined with experience comes into play. So like a real diagnostician. 
um, he could have just easily just prescribed antidepressants for me. Like that would have been, I would have accepted it and that would just, you know, would have masked my symptoms and on I would have gone. Um, no, it's just a very, he's a very special person and man. I mean, he saved my life. Now you're back in New York City. You're seeing this Lyme litter doctor and that kind of brings us almost to today. What are you doing with this Lyme litter doctor? Um, well, I get my um, full panel of results um, back in mid-July. Um, I've started a new antibiotic protocol. Um, so I'm entering, you know, probably the third week of that protocol and will, you know, adjust as necessary, you know, based upon my test results. What percentage would you say you're back to normal today? You know, I think it depends on the day. <laughs> like um, some days I'll say 60, 70% and other days I'll say, you know, um, 95, 100%. Um, I think it just depends on the day. Anyone who's going through this, you know, it's amazing. You can have just a really bad day or two days and then you can feel like a million bucks and you don't feel anything. Um, for me, it's when I'm stressed, overworked, which unfortunately is my lifestyle. Um, that's, that's when I feel it the most. Um, so I'm, I'm very, now I'm very self-aware. Then it's, you know, I got to introduce the self-care regimen. I got to take a step back. I got to adjust things. Um, you know, but I never, I never felt anything before. So for me ha having this, it's just, I, I still can't believe it. I never had physical ailments. Randy, how are you using your skills? You mentioned earlier that you are an, presently an account manager now and you focus on web design, web development, creative services, uh, email marketing, paid and search, uh, paid search and social media ads. You've taken those skill sets and you've brought them over to the Lyme world to mm -hmm. help the Lyme community, correct? Absolutely. I just, I am so outraged and baffled by the lack of awareness and diagnostics and testing and treatment, as well as the resistance of the medical community. I just had to do something. I literally one day just sat down, used my skills, and I just need to make a difference. I need to help people. I need to get the message out. And I uh, developed, um, it's called Think Lime. Um, and the whole premise behind it is just if physicians would be knowledgeable about Lyme disease, they would cut half of the battle down, which is diagnostics. I wouldn't have needed to see 12 doctors. I could have been on treatment earlier, which would have helped my recovery. So if only doctors would think Lyme when people would cross their office, just think about it, test it, exhaust the possibility. That is half the battle for patients. Um, my doctor sought Lyme. Otherwise, I, I don't know what would happen. I'd be in a wheelchair. I was weeks away from a wheelchair. Well, Randy, so, it, was actually, it was actually your 12th doctor that thought Lyme. Uh, can yeah, you, right. Can, can, can you share with us um, how the Think Lyme journey has changed you? What, what has changed in your perspective? I think giving back. I think really um, being on the side, being an advocate um, for people. There's so many silent sufferers, sufferers out there that don't have a voice being their voice, um, that I'm able to put together um, information, informational website, a blog, social media outreach, and help people be that voice for the people that just can't. I mean, it is, it's a very lonely journey. I had to do all the research for myself to figure this whole thing out. Randy, why do you think doctors don't think Lyme? Why did you need to get to a heroic doctor uh, after 11 failures before there was someone brave enough to think Lyme? 
frankly, they're just not educated. They're not educated. There's um, political stigmas out there in the medical community that have almost made them shy away from Lyme. Um, you could see it in their facial expression. You know who, what doctor is Lyme friendly and what doctor is not, just by bringing up the word Lyme. You could see it in their facial expression. Um, we need more Lyme literate doctors out there. So any additional education courses, CME courses, anything that we can do to get physicians educated is half the battle. So I think that that's going to be my next step. You know, my first thing was just developing a platform, getting the voice, helping people, because um, so many people now are having symptoms and they're coming to me thinking that they have Lyme. And so I needed to develop a platform that I could direct them to um, and help them. So now that the voice is established, I think the next part in this journey um, is education. Randy, one of the things that really surprises me, and we've been seeing it a lot on social media now this time of year, where many vet organizations are sharing Lyme disease and tick disease information on their social media profiles, as well as putting up signs in their offices. But you don't really see that in doctor's offices. And I think back to my journey and, and, and your journey online, if we saw an, an informational flyer online, we probably would have caught this disease sooner, right? Correct. If you put the pieces together, it would have been a light bulb in your head, right? But you just, you didn't know enough. Um, I now tell everybody I can about this disease. I mean, my friends are so educated. They're checking their dogs, they're checking their children, they're spraying their before their kids go to camp, they're spraying their clothes with permethrin. I mean, anything to make a difference. Um, and then there's some people out there just have, they have no clue. And there are doctors out there, no clue. Um, reading the Western blot, they, they don't have any idea. It's, it's negative. But if, you, if those doctors have a red flag of just one band, their patient has one band and you just dismiss it, they're, they're not educated. But I have a question for you, Limeys, and that is, do you really think that the veterinary community is smarter and better educated than the human? It's more, ex it's more accepted. It's more accepted for pets to have Lyme disease than humans. Or is, or is it just safer for veterinarians to treat pets? And because it's accepted, because it's recognized as an acceptable disease for pets. Or is there's it, a is protocol, there's vaccinations. Well, Randy, is it really just uh, safer because you're, you're not going to be subject to a medical board suspending your license or, uh, or a lawsuit or, you know, so uh, if, if we're going to mm -hmm. put doctors in a position where they are going to have to sacrifice their careers in order to properly diagnose people with Lyme disease, maybe they're just afraid to do that. They are. That's why things have to change. Pressure to the medical community, I mean, things have to change. Um, in order for it to be accepted, for more doctors to practice. So, Randy, we, we like to end our podcast by asking our guests to share with our listeners what advice they would give to folks in the community who are not sick. What would you advise people to do to avoid getting to the place where you have found yourself? Um, I think just be knowledgeable. Um, going outside is now a risk. Just like you would go outside and put suntan lotion on, you have to put bug spray on now. You have to spray your shoes. You have to be aware of what ticks look like, all the different sizes of ticks. They can be the size of a poppy seed, right? You would, you would never know a tick is attached to you. You could think it's a freckle, a piece of dirt. You have to be aware of what ticks look like, how prevalent it is, 
and you have to protect yourself. I mean, that's half the battle. I mean, no one is immune here. You can walk outside in your backyard and get bitten, but being aware of it, being aware of the symptoms, all of that will help in diagnosis and recovery. It's just awareness like anything else. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with Randy Goodman. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you would like to learn more about Randy Goodman, please visit Instagram at ThinkLine or her website that includes a beautifully written blog at www.thinklime.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast interview with Randy Goodman, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes. This is a new effort on our part, and we can really use your help when it comes to creating a show that you would like to listen to. We make a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.